Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hey listeners, I'm Mary Fox, the co-host of Leveling Up and co-founder of Marlowe. This week's episode of Leveling Up is with Dr. Amy Clymer. Amy walked me through the creative problem-solving process she uses with her clients and shares tips on how people at all levels in the organization can champion this process as they collaborate on various problems, challenges, and opportunities. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Well, today I have with me on the show, Dr. Amy Clymer, and she has over 20 years of experience leading and facilitating teams, designing and delivering the leadership development programs and teaching teams to be more innovative. Amy, thanks for joining me today. Excited to be here. And so you're also the host of the Deliberate Creative Podcast, which is designed to teach others how to facilitate innovative teams. And your PhD is from Antioch University. I'm excited today. We're going to jump into the design process and how you're using that to help teams make more strategic decisions and ultimately become more innovative. That's great. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about yourself? Let's see. So I guess what's relevant here is I've been a consultant slash speaker, trainer, coach for about 10 years. And mostly what I focus on is creativity and innovation and team development. And then actually more recently, I've been teaching facilitation skills, but it's a little bit of an aside, but mostly been working out with teams to help them understand how creativity and innovation works and how to be more creative in their daily work and whatever that looks like. Yeah. And I work with all sorts of organizations. <laughs> I think sometimes that's the challenge with the work I do that I, I mean, it's anything from healthcare to manufacturing, to government, to nonprofits, to universities. And the way I look at it is, well, it's all people and it's all about, you know, that this, the issues around innovation are usually quite similar. How did you get into this space? Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely like this convoluted process. I feel like I'm at this point in my career where all these things that I did earlier are starting to come together and mesh. So I have a, an undergraduate degree in biology, which I'm never really actually used except for one short job right after college. I worked for the U.S. Forest Service. But when I was in college, I worked for the university had an outdoor program and I worked for them. And basically what this meant is that on the weekends, I led backpacking trips, canoeing trips, rock climbing, caving. I was leading like team building programs on high ropes courses. And in that experience, through that experience, I learned one, how to facilitate and just like how to lead a group through an experience, but also how to help a group of people that didn't necessarily know each other how to come together and gel pretty quickly. And so that was sort of the beginning of my team development experience and knowledge. And I eventually got a master's degree in outdoor education because I loved that so much. But then sort of like way back in the corner of my life, I was exploring creativity a little bit, especially after college. And I stumbled upon this book called The Artist's Way that was originally, it was, yeah, it was, published in 1996. And I think it's, you know, millions of people have read this book. It's kind of an amazing book to help you figure out like how to reclaim your own creativity. And that book really just helped me get some wheels turning. And I started digging into creativity more and more. And several years later, started teaching like these little workshops and playing with it. And then fast forward, 2009 is when I started my consulting practice. And then in 2011, I started my PhD with the intent to study creativity. And so that's when I really started digging. That's what I've been doing 
ever since. It's really cool. And I, I know that our audience is mostly individuals within teams and often leaders of teams. And so as we dig in today, I'd really love to talk more about you know how they can use creativity and innovation to solve the problems or seize the opportunities that are coming to their teams. I want to start a little bit at the beginning. So the elephant in the room here is what is creativity and what is it not? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's a good question. So there's a definition that I use. and Unfortunately, I don't know the original source of this definition, but it, the definition I use is creativity is novelty that is valuable. And so what I mean by that is something novel, meaning original, new, different, unique, and something valuable. You know, we initially think of financially valuable, but there's all sorts of value, right? It doesn't have to be just about money. Um, so creativity could be something that provides us you know, joy or evokes an emotion in some way or provides like a, a value that we can't quite put a price tag on. So there's a lot of ways that creativity could be valuable, but the point is that it's something not like novelty that is valuable, something different, original, unique. And there is that valuable piece, which also that means there's a judgment to it, which I think is a place with stuck on. Judgment in the sense that people... It's really a subjective thing for people to to kind of decide. Like exactly. What, yeah. No, I can see that. And when you talk about novelty, it's also that's somewhat based on perspective as well, right? Like what's considered novel to one person. Yeah. No, but I've seen you talk about this and I am so, so as we, let me just go back to, um, you talked earlier about you're using creativity in the design process and you're working with teams and you're hosting these workshops. Can you give us a little bit more of, an outline of what that looks like in general. And, you know, when you talk to these teams, why is it that they're bringing you on in the first place? Well, let me first answer that last part of the question of why a team might bring me on. And actually, it's great. Today, I had a conversation with a company based out of Switzerland. And I'm talking to a woman that works in in HR. and, And she was telling me this issue that they have, which I realized is such a common issue, where the team... The team starts, you know, like, okay, we're going to get creative. We're going to brainstorm. Like they're getting into it. And about 30 seconds into the brainstorm, someone starts criticizing an idea. And I realized like she nailed it. It is about 30 seconds. Like maybe a team can make it a minute and a half. But we all sort of know intellectually that brainstorming is about suspending suspending judgment and, and letting the ideas flow. But we can't seem to make it very long. And those are the types of teams where they inherently understand the value of being creative and they want to be more innovative, but they just find that they're getting in their own. And so they reach out to me and like, okay, we need some help. What do we do? So the process that I usually teach is called creative problem solving. It's very similar to design thinking, human-centered design. There's a bunch of processes out there and they're all very similar. In fact, most of them have the same roots. If you were to track it back, I think 1926 was the first time a process was outlined. But I like creative problem solving because it's pretty general. Like It could apply to a wide range of situations. And there's been a lot of research showing this is actually effective individuals. So the general process is there's four stages. So it's clarify, ideate, develop, and implement. And so clarifying means okay, what is the problem? What's going on? Let's sort of look at what's the real issue here? What are we actually trying to solve? Maybe, maybe looking at what's already been done, um, but just really clarifying that problem. This is, that's a stage where you tend to ask a lot of questions. 
once that problem is clarified and you have like, here's the big question we're trying to figure out, then you move into ideation. Ideation is where you're coming up with a bunch of ideas. Brainstorming is one technique within the ideation process. There's a bunch of different techniques just besides brainstorming. Ideally, when a team is working together, they would have dozens or hundreds of ideas in that ideation stage. Sometimes what happens is that, like in the example I just shared, where the team spends 30 seconds, they get three ideas. That's not actually really brainstorming or ideation. It's, it's more about quantity and the idea that quantity leads to quality. So we get all these ideas. Inevitably, it's too many. And some of them are junk. Like some of them are just like, don't fit. They're kind of dumb, whatever, right? And so then it's about culling out what are the best ideas. And so you take those top maybe two, three, four, five ideas, however many it is, and you develop them a little further. Because initially, the idea is just a sentence or two. I like to say it's only as much as it'll fit on a post-it note. And so you need to develop it further. And that's where you start looking at, okay, what are the pros and cons of this idea? And that's where when you're ready to, to criticize, that's when we need that skill. Like we want to criticize the idea at some point, just not at the initial ideation. Um, so anyway, we start developing the ideas a bit further. And then from there, you might even hone them down and realize like, okay, this is the one that we want to forward. And then you, and that's when you know, you put it into practice. And so that's sort of the general creative problem solving process. That's so when you talked about quality leading or sorry, quantity leading to quality, and then calling down these ideas in order to find the ones that seem like the best fit. Is there a trick to that? Like how, how are you, what metrics are you using to decide which of those ideas make the most sense? Yeah, that's a good question. It's definitely a place where I think a lot of teams can get stuck because certainly if you have 300 ideas on the wall, it's a bit overwhelming. So at that point, it can make sense. You can either do it at that point, you can do it earlier, but at some point you need to have some criteria for how are we going to decide which idea we can move forward. Most likely there's some budget constraints. There's maybe some time constraints or, you know, skill constraints like, wow, this is a brilliant idea, but no one in our organization has the skills to do this and we don't have the budget to hire someone. So let's just park this and hang on to it for the future. And, and that's actually key is that just because you're not going to do an idea doesn't mean you're never going to help people feel a little bit better about letting go of an idea. Um, but you want to have some sort of criteria that you're basing the ideas on. And when I'm doing this with teams, I often have them write all these ideas down on post-it. And so then we literally just start pulling post-it notes off the wall and sorting them. Sometimes, you know, there's duplicates and you're, you're starting to select, okay, well, these are the top ones that we think. And there's definitely like an intuitive subjective component. And you're kind of using that, your subjective opinion with the criteria that's being laid out and you're picking those best ones. And then there's this other tool that I sometimes use called the importance difficulty matrix, where say we've taken all those ideas and we've narrowed it down to like 20, which is still too many to move forward, but we've got a more manageable subset. And so then you can start looking at taking each idea and putting it on a spectrum of how easy to hard is this? Like how, how difficult? And as well as how important, like this is low importance to high importance. And so you can basically create this like quadrant matrix and each idea goes into one of those four quadrants. And then you actually start looking at, okay, the easiest ideas, let's look at those first and start exploring those because then you start getting some momentum as you start implementing those ideas. Um, and sometimes what happens is you implement the easy ideas and then the ones that were hard actually don't seem that hard anymore. So that's a, those are a couple techniques that I use to help 
teams like narrow down on those best ideas. And it really helps to have that framework in place, right? It helps to have something that you can, especially when you have so many people coming from so many different backgrounds and they all have different opinions around what, which idea might be better, which idea might work best. Um, you talked earlier about the 30 seconds of brainstorming and then it just moves into kind of filtering and showing why ideas don't work. In your experience, what do you find causes that, that desire to start to like kill ideas before they're even started or before they have a chance to you know, turn into new ideas? So what I've seen is the reason that happens is because people don't understand there'll be, there will be a separate time to evaluate the ideas later. And when people jump in and they're saying, oh, no, no, we can't do that because like we did that in 1995 and it didn't work. And you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I wasn't even born then. <laughs> but when people say stuff like that, they're coming from a place of good intent. Like they mean well, which sometimes is hard to imagine in the moment. You're thinking, why does this stop shutting everything down? But so they're coming from a place of trying to avoid you know, some bad idea getting implemented or what they think is a bad idea. And, but if they understand the whole process and they know like, okay, we're coming up with ideas now and then we're going to move into evaluating them, it's like their anxiety can go down. Like, oh, I'm going to get a chance to, to speak my mind. And so separating out those pieces can be really helpful. And especially, you know, if the team can understand the big picture of the whole process, that's also super helpful. And in my experience, I found that very few teams have a process that they're using, much less everybody on the team understand. So that's definitely key. I wonder too, so the, the idea of teams having processes or not having processes in place at all, if I'm a listener sitting here thinking, yeah, that'd be really great to even get my team in a room to have this conversation in the first place. How do you kick off this process? So I know that there's one thing to bring in an external expert such as yourself to, to facilitate this. But if they're wanting to actually do this together with their team, where should they start? Is it about just like sitting down and saying, all right, let's start with step one. I, you know, what's the problem? And then moving through that step by step together. Or do you have any recommendations for how they should move through that process? I think the first thing is that if you're going to lead this process, you need to personally understand it. And so get some education around that. And if I could share a resource. So on my podcast, The Deliberate Creative, the first like eight to 10 episodes walks through this process in a bit more depth. And there's actually a free PDF download that you can get that's like all these different activities for each of those. And you could just listen to that with your team, walk through those, those components, work on a real issue though. Like I feel like sometimes we go through these exercises and it's like, oh, we're going to like have this pretend challenge. And then people are just like yawning and checking out. So, so make it real. So that's a resource. And generally, I think it makes sense to, I'm hesitating here because there's, there's always like the, it depends, you know, it's all situational, but I think it generally makes sense to walk through the whole process from clarify, ideate, develop. But as the team gets to understand that process better, you'll be better at just pulling in pieces of like, oh, we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time clarifying. We can jump right into ideating or actually in the clarified process, we've solved our problem. We don't need to go into ID or the idea is, is here and ready. We just need to develop it further. But one of the things that happens is each of us has a preference for one or more of those four stages. And we want to be in the, st in like our favorite stage the most. So for instance, I love to ideate and I love to implement, but I'm not that great at clarifying and developing. Well, I shouldn't say I'm not that great at it. It's not my preference. 
I've developed some skills in those, that er- those areas, so I'm better at it. But, you know, I'd ideate with you for hours. But if you ask me to clarify for hours, oh my gosh, it's going to be really painful. And so in a team, if there are some people that like to clarify more and some people like to ideate, those people might be butting heads a little bit. But if everyone understands the process, it's just a little bit easier. Like, you know, if I'm the ideator and I understand we're in clarify, I can relax a little bit because I get why we're there. And I know that we're going to get to my favorite stage soon. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. And that reminds me of every time I've ever talked to my co-founder about any problem. We are both opposites. She's she's really great about the clarification and the developing and implementation. And my favorite spot, spot is also the ideation. What if we did all these great, amazing things? And she's like, yes. But like, so I think also having, this is why this is such a great tool to use in a team environment, right? That creative process, having multiple perspectives be involved. Absolutely. And actually like you and your co-founder, since you figure that out, you understand each other's strengths, you can probably work really well together. And that if one of you was just a, clar- you know, if you both were clarifiers or both were ideators, you might not actually move forward as Right. You have those people who just can't develop or get it out yeah. like, into the world for sure. You mentioned earlier that, that this is something that people bring in, you know, obviously they're, they're partnering with you. This is a business that you're running and you're doing quite well. When do companies partner with you? When do they decide, you know, we need to bring in Amy. She's going to help us really rock this out of the park. Like how, how I guess two, two questions is when do they bring you in? And the second one is how can somebody who maybe doesn't have the authority to make that decision, how can they sort of champion an idea of having an external partner come in and help them through this process? Let me ask, answer that first part first. So I think the companies that are bringing me in, they fall into a couple different categories. First of all, all of them have some interest in being, like, I've never had a company hire me to do creativity training when they didn't want to be innovative. I mean, ridiculous. And, and honestly, not every company wants to be innovative. I, I do think they're missing out because I think that they're going to eventually wither away and not be relevant anymore. And they're going to go out of business, which I feel like in the U.S. we are stuck. I just heard that Dress Barn just announced they're closing their 650 stores. You know, Sears, Sears went out of business. I mean, I remember as a kid in the 1980s walking into a Sears and walking into a Sears about two, three years ago. They look the same right? Like this is an issue and that's why they're no longer in business. So first of all, a a company needs to want to be innovative to work with me. And then I find some of the clients that come to me are actually in a place where the company is doing really well. And they're in this like upward trajectory where they're already seeing some success, whether that's an innovation or teams, like they tend to be, the companies that work with me tend to be companies that care about their and they're putting energy and money because that's what I do is I work with when I help them develop those skills. Sometimes I'll have a company come to me where the maybe a specific team or even company-wide, there's some dysfunction. And they're like, okay, we just need some help like getting out of this muck. And sometimes I work with those companies. I find more often the companies are coming to me who are already in this like upward trajectory, like they're already doing, which I think is an interesting interesting concept. Seems like the early movers, right? The people who, yeah, yeah, they're just ready because they probably got to where they are right now almost because they're so forward thinking in this space. Wow. Absolutely. (laughs) I agree. So working with the different, the four stages, I can see how that works really well in a really formal environment, but how do you coach people on using the same process, this creative problem solving process in more of a day-to-day, you know, to solve day-to-day problems? Where, Where does that come in? So I think it's a couple of things. I think 
I'm going to just share kind of like how I use it in my personal life and, and in my professional life as an individual. And, and I think that will translate. And first of all, I get the process. Like I understand these four stages, right? And like anyone, I've got my to-do list. I have stuff I'm trying to get done each day or each week or each month. And sometimes at the end of the day, I'm thinking, wow, I was really not productive today. I didn't get much done. And, and I, when I look at my work, most of my work involves creating something. I'm writing, whether that's a blog post or an email, or I'm developing a new program or customizing something for a client. So there's a lot of like output. And when I realize that I've been stuck and I haven't been very creative or even just not even like creative in this big sense, but I just haven't created anything. A lot of times it's because I'm stuck because I haven't done it. I haven't clarified or haven't developed, which are of course are the two areas that I struggle with the most. And so when I can slow down and realize like, okay, what is it I'm actually trying to do? And I can just quietly do some clarification on my own. Then all of a sudden like, oh, okay, I can get this out. Or developing means like, well, what's my very first step? What's my second step? Like, I'm ready to start, but I don't always know what those steps are. And so if I can slow down and and figure that out, then I'm much more. So that's how I use that individually, which I think would apply to most people. I think at the team level, even, you know, even if you're not in a role of authority, I think that you can bring in some activities and techniques, even as simple as asking questions. And so understanding that. If, if a team's trying to work on an issue and you're recognizing that they're not doing much clarifying, you can start asking questions and say things like, what is the purpose of our conversation here? Or how might we look at what we've done in the past to help us with this issue? Or what are the other organizations doing? And you're just starting to like ask these clarifying questions. Or if you realize you're sort of stuck in clarifying, you could summarize and say, all right, it sounds like the issue might be blah, blah, blah. Does that seem right to everybody? And if everyone agrees, then cool. What are some ideas we have to solve this? And then you kind of are moving the team into ideation. And so even if the team doesn't quite understand what you're doing, you're almost just doing sort of like a facilitation at the table, which is a term I'm just making up on the spot. You're just like guiding this team in a direction, even if you're not the one actually program or leading them, or even if you're the whole team. Some of my favorite coworkers in the past have been people who that is just their superpower, right? They don't need to have all the ideas. They don't need to have the authority of saying, yes, that's the problem. They just need to make sure that they leave that meeting feeling like something happened. And so being able to, to facilitate is such an important skill. You, you so really... Agree. Yeah, you know, and you really, you dug into clarification. You, you talked a lot about how you can clarify and the ideation part we discussed earlier. Can you shed some more light on developing? Like, what does that stage look like? Yeah, so the developing, the developed stage could be a couple pieces. The first might be just even looking at the pros and cons of a particular idea. Like every idea, no matter how amazing it is, there's some cost to it, right? There's some downsides to it. Um, so looking at those, but in a way of instead of like, oh, this, this is a terrible idea because of blah, 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 looking at, well, how might we get past the budget constraints? Of, you know, how might we raise more money? How might we decrease costs? And I'm a big fan of using the word might. And so I, the how might we is incredibly powerful phrase, more so than how should we, how could we, how will we. There's something about that word might that 
like invites this openness. So that would be one thing is looking at the pros and cons. And then as you decide, okay, this idea is something we want to move forward with, then looking at, okay, what are the steps to make that happen? So the developers in your life are the people who love spreadsheets and they love action plans. I have this friend who makes these detailed spreadsheets when she's going on vacation. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're such a developer. It's amazing. And my vacations don't look like that. (laughs) But sometimes when I'm in the midst of the vacation, I'm like, oh, I wish I had Tammy's spreadsheet because that'd be really helpful right now. Yeah. Like you're just walking around trying to figure out what to do next. And she's got her whole agenda for this. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, so I think, you know, having a plan uh, of, you know, what's the first step, where do we need to start? Who do we need to involve? That's the development. And then the implementation stage sounds like, all right, now let's just go do it. But I'm imagining that there's some element to some finesse there to, make, to do it correctly. So what tips do you typically give to your teams? So I think, so the, the implement stage is really where you can pull in from the world of project management and use the tools and techniques from that. Um, I think part of it is actually what you said a moment ago, where you're having a meeting, if, if you're going to be having a meeting, like what's the purpose of this meeting? What's the action plan at the end of the meeting? Like, what are we going to do after this meeting's over? Um, you know, who's doing what? Who's responsible for what? And being really clear of like how... How do we actually move this forward? What are we implementing? What's And so basically you develop that plan of the first steps and then you start doing those steps. Um, so the implementers are the people who they just want to go, like they just want to do stuff. We, and, and it's interesting because you can kind of see how we need all of these people in any given team. The hard part is just knowing that you also need to be that type of person at any given stage <laughs> in a project too. And that's when it's like, you know, when you write a book or you're writing a blog post and know that you just need to ship it, right? You just need to get it out. And I think they're having this process. So thanks so much for for diving into it for me. Having a process is the most powerful thing. Just having a framework you can start to dig into. What are some common errors that you're seeing teams have as they implement this process? Do Do you see any trends on like what makes this more difficult than it should be? I think two things come to mind. One is, I mean, just not knowing the process, which I feel like I've said already, but or it could be not knowing where you are in the process. Um, and so that clarity of like, okay, we're in the ideate stage. So everyone gets that. That could be really helpful. And, and this is all cyclical. And it's not always linear. So you might do like clarify, ideate, develop, back to ideate, back to develop, you know, so forth before you get to implement. And even once you're in implementing, you might go back to clarifying. So it can be a little bit messy. And because of that, just being clear of like, okay, where are we at? Then that's helpful. The other thing that I see is there, I, I sort of touched upon this a moment ago, but there are these two types of thinking that need to happen throughout the creative process. So there's divergent thinking and convergent thinking. And divergent thinking is where we think really big, we're coming up with all these ideas, we're maybe diverging on some, you know, going down some rabbit trails. And that's very helpful, particularly, it's helpful at every stage of the process, but definitely in the ideate stage. And then there's the convergent thinking, which is where you're making decisions, you're, you're figuring out, okay, what are, what's the best approach? What are we going to move forward with? And our brain can't do both of those at the same time. So we need to first diverge and then come. But what happens is that teams mix those up a lot. So even let's say like we're in the, in the develop stage where we're coming up with, okay, what are all the steps we need to go through to implement this? 
there's a divergent period where like, let's just dump all the steps out and not even worry about what order they need to get done in. Let's just get them all down on paper. And then we can start sorting and deciding like, oh, we don't need this or, oh, wait, we forgot something. And that's where you do more of the, and when a team gets that, I've seen like their, their, like their work together, it just steps up to the next level. Have you worked with teams who have never worked together before? Like they're kind of, they don't know each other and they're coming together for this. Has that been part of your facilitation in the past? Yeah, definitely. I've worked with both teams that have been together for a long time or who are brand new. And does that change how this process works? Like, I'm just curious because I'm imagining, you know, in the teams that I've worked in, if you all know each other, you're much more likely to like interrupt and say, no, that's a terrible idea moving on. I I feel like there's some politeness that happens when you don't know each other as well, but you also, that politeness might, is politeness even a word? I don't know. Um, That might might not actually add value overall, right? You need some level of friction to say like, you know, what if we, you might consider doing it this way or what what might happen if this way? Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely a challenge that the teams can have. So there's this progression that, that I don't know if you talked about on this, this show where teams move through called forming, storming, norming, performing. Have you all talked about that on another episode? So to be totally honest, I can't remember if we've talked about it on the show, but it's something our team uses. Okay, right? nice. Uh, and it's a very common theme within like BCG and a couple of other management consulting teams because they're moving from team to team so quickly. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a really helpful process. It comes from this guy Tuckman from 1965, I think. So it's been around a long time. And honestly, I think the only reason it's so popular is because all the words rhyme and so everybody can remember them. <laughs> There's other ones out there, but Tuckman's like sticks. So when a team is in that initial polite stage, it's called forming. And, you know, that's when everyone's polite. They're kind of trying to feel out like, okay, how do I fit here? Is this the right group for me? Can I speak up? What happens when I speak up? that kind of thing. You're sort of figuring out what those norms are. And then eventually the team moves into what's called a storming stage where they start to disagree and they start to, it's like they're experimenting with how to disagree with each other. Like, oh, well, what happens if I say I don't like that idea? And the way a team handles that storming stage has a huge impact on whether or not they move past it. So some teams get stuck in this, and that's what I would consider dysfunctional. Another term for the storming stage is called sorting. There's a researcher named Denise Mitten who kind of renamed that, so to speak, because the word storming makes it sound like we have this like huge blowout fight and everyone's like standing and yelling, and it, it doesn't have to look that way. It actually can be pretty civil. So uh, forming, storming, and then norming is at this point, like the team's pretty, pretty high functioning. Like they're not amazing yet, but they're solid. They're working well together. People understand what the norms are, even as simple as when we have a four o'clock meeting, are we actually starting at four o'clock or are we starting at 410? Or are we like, you know, you better be in your seat by 355 or else you're late. You know, just that kind of thing. Like what's the culture of the team? By then, by the norming stage, you have that figured out. And then eventually you move into performing. And not all teams make it to that stage. Performing, the way I define that, it's like, it's a high performing team. Like this is a rock star team where they have just gelled at such a great level and then their work is even at a higher level. So sometimes, yeah, the the creative process would, you know, you're still going to, if you're going to use that in a team that's just forming or if they're performing, it's still the same process. Maybe what it looks like, you know, if you were to like be peering in from a window, it might look a little bit different, but the the basic element. And it's what I've seen it 
be helpful in situations where you know that that's the stage you're in. And so everybody's a little bit more forgiving, right? When you're, I know in these teams that move around, a lot of our clients have sort of siloed teams. You, you move based on projects, agencies, consulting companies like that. And when you've switched teams and now you're working with a brand new set of people, but they all understand this concept and they all understand that there's a framework that we're likely to move through and it's totally normal. It just lowers the stress and the tension of the unknown, yeah. right? So thanks for sharing that because I think our, our listeners can definitely use that and remind people, hey, it's okay. We're just in the storming phase. We're going to get into norming soon. It's happening, I promise. I could talk to you for hours and I have a million other questions, but I wanted to touch on leadership really fast, just in general. And I know that this is an area where you have a lot of experience. And when we we talked before to sort of prep for today's episode, um, we talked about the world that we're living in today. And I won't go totally into it, but I did want to bring up a question around like, how do you think creativity can help individuals become a better leader? And Well, I think that being a leader means being a change agent. Like you're leading change. I mean, I think if, if you were to look at the difference of a, like a leader and a manager, I think the manager's job is to keep things going, maintenance. I wouldn't say like keep it the status quo because you can still like, you know, be making some progress there. But really you're, you're just, you're kind of keeping things running. Whereas a leader, I feel like that's more about implementing change, taking things to a higher level, uh, developing the people that you're working with, better team members, better employees, better leaders themselves. And so I think creativity is, it, it's an integral part of that. I mean, if you go back to the definition of like novelty that is valuable. And so as a leader, like how do I bring in some novelty that will be valuable for my team? And how do I help, or how do I help my team develop that novelty that's valuable? I think when leaders don't understand creativity or how creativity works, then they inadvertently end up stopping and squishing it. Not intentional. I mean, they're not trying to squish it, but it's sort of what ha- I feel like happens accidentally. When do you, like, can you give an example of that? Because I think that's really important. And I think a lot of times we're not self-aware enough to know that we're doing it, right? So mm-hmm. when have you seen just hypothetically somebody accidentally squish the creativity of a team member? Okay, well, this might be a little bit of an extreme example, but uh, okay, years ago, I was working at a university and the dean of our school came into our team to talk about something. I don't remember what, this is so so long ago. And he came in and and we're having a team meeting and he says, okay, so I wanted to come in and talk to you about blah, 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 because I really would love to get your input on this. And I'm thinking, oh, that's cool. Like he wants to get our input. Okay. And so, you know, he starts explaining what he needs and I'm like taking a few notes with some ideas. And he then continues to talk for 45 minutes. And at the end says, Hey, thanks for letting me come to your meeting. It was great to talk with you all. And he left. <laughs> okay. Wow. Like you didn't get any serious. chance. Oh, no. Nobody said a thing except just sit there and listen. And I can't, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that he, I guess I'm going to presume positive intention. And I'm going to presume that he did not come in to just pontificate for 45 minutes. And maybe he really intended to listen, but he basically couldn't get out of his own way and he ended up just talking nonstop. And after about 15 minutes, I was off on some other topic in my head and, you know, completely ignoring him. Well, and at that point, you're just wondering, why am I here in the first place, right? Exactly. So, yeah, completely. What resource, well, before before we wrap up, my I have my go-to question of, I'd love to hear the resources that you lean on. Before I ask you that question, is there anything else you would want our listeners to know about using the creative problem-solving methods that you've facilitated with 
you know, is, is there anything you'd like to add basically? I guess one thing that I would add is that being creative, it, it's not easy. It, it, it can be really messy. It can be, it, it, it requires taking a risk. And that risk might even be as simple as asking a question in a meeting, like we were talking about a minute ago. And I mean, part of the thing with the risk is you don't know what's going to happen. And you don't know if people are going to push back or people are going to ignore you. Or And so I would say if you, if you want to be creative, which I think is a skill that everyone needs to develop, every professional. But if you want to be creative, then do some experiments and take some risks. So maybe it's asking questions in a meeting and, and thinking through like, what kind of questions do I want to ask? And if you ask a question, it doesn't go well. Don't just leave the meeting and be like, well, forget that. I'm not asking any more questions. Instead, like spend a little time reflecting. Okay, was it the timing of the question? Was it the question itself? Was it how I asked it? Like what happened that didn't make it go well? And, and then try again and keep setting up these little experiments for yourself to see what actually works, what actually sticks. And then when you find something that works, cool, keep doing that. You know, figure out what it was about that that worked and try to replicate that. Not replicating it ad nauseum, like you want to still keep that creativity there. But I think sometimes we don't talk enough about how risky it can be to try something new. But Absolutely. with risk, yeah, and with risk comes reward. Very much so. Um, and it's, it's a huge part of why this show exists, right? It's f- gathering the resources that you need to be more prepared to take that quote risk. I mean, it's, sometimes it's not risk at all. It's just our own insecurity of like, what happens if, right? But it is, that's risk, right? And so um, everything that you've shared today, hopefully will help somebody have that courage to speak up and, and ask the question that they might not have otherwise had or create the process that they might not have otherwise created in their, their workspace. So I always ask this in my show and I think that it's important, which is resources, right? We love resources. There's so much out there that people can listen to. They can watch, read. What are your go-to resources either on this subject or really just your general sort of life management and what you've enjoyed? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I just want to like take a photo of my bookshelf for you and (laughs) send it to you. I think one thing I've been thinking about this lately that as far as like, you know, reading new stuff and deciding what to read, because I read a lot. Um, In fact, this year I actually started tracking all the books I've I'm reading for 2019 and which for one is actually helping me finish books. I have a tendency to get about three quarters of the way through a book and put it down because I feel like, okay, I got it. But anyway, so that might be a, just a simple tool is like track what you're reading. But if I, if I have heard three different people recommend something to me, I really pay attention to it. So if three different people have recommended a book or a Ted talk or whatever it is, and they're from three different areas of my life, like I'm, I'm paying attention. So that would be just one little tip. But as far as resources, gosh, there's so many, there's, I can, if it's helpful, I can send you to a page on my website where I have, I have a list of resources around creativity and innovation at climberconsulting.com. I think it's climberconsulting.com slash resources. So that's, that's definitely a place to start if you want to learn more about creativity. And then I think I'm, I tend to be a big fan of research and research-based work. Uh, I think especially in the world of creativity, there's a lot of fluff out there. And so I do pay attention to things like the Harvard Business Review. There's a number of creativity journals, which honestly would probably be a bit boring for most people, (laughs) like the Creativity Research Journal. But I tend to pay attention to that research. And so that's something to look for when you're 
you know, when you're like on LinkedIn or on blog posts is when I'm reading something, I often say like, okay, well, where did they get this information? And in fact, there's this author, I don't know if you know, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. Yes, I am on his email list. <laughs> nice. Yeah. One of the things I love about his writing is that at the end, he's, he's really good about citing his resources. And so sometimes after reading his work, I actually go to those resources. And so I feel like I'm like evading the question. <laughs> no, I think that's really helpful. I mean, it's the two things, one is just like, as a rule of thumb, people should be reading the academic research behind these thoughts. It's shocking how many references or, you know, we go to a Forbes article or something and it references like an entrepreneur article, which references a fast company article. And then like you get digger, you know, there's no real source there. So digging into that academic resource is really important. Where can our listeners find you? Climberconsulting.com. Yeah. I will link to that in the, in the podcast notes as well as the blog post that we share with this. So all of our listeners can click there. Um, is there anywhere else that they can find you? So yeah, climberconsulting.com, which climber is spelled C-L-I-M-E-R. And I also have a podcast called The Deliberate Creative. So you can check that out. There's a hundred episodes up. So a lot of resources there. And I have a TEDx talk if you're curious about that, which is also about creativity. Yes. Your TEDx talk is phenomenal. <laughs> so I, I strongly recommend that. And hopefully they don't need two other people to recommend it to go listen to it. But I, we're, we're <laughs> hey, two of us. We're so, two right okay, here, right? Already. <laughs> um, that's a fantastic talk. And I, thanks so much for taking the time just with me today. I hope that our, I know our listeners will get value out of this. Oh, thank you so much. It's so good to talk with you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.